1: Good afternoon, Tycoons, and Happy New Year 2023. Welcome to Tycoons of Small Biz. This is our first episode of 2023. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast and you're wondering what it is that we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, we are a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners, and our sole purpose here is to share the stories of people who are truly the backbone of the American economy and allow them to talk about themselves, talk about their business, share it, you know, what it is that they do for for their employees, for themselves, for the economy, et cetera. So with that being said, we hope you enjoy listening and hope you come back and rate us and you know do all those sorts of things that podcasts need to, to have done. But uh, today, we definitely have a tycoon of, of small biz on the podcast with us today. We've got Linda Finaris, CEO of Millennium Agency, coming to us from Manchester, New Hampshire. Linda, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Austin. It's great to be here today, first day after um, the holiday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exciting to be here. Exciting to start a new year. We talked a little bit uh, before we got started. I, I just went out for a run during lunch. I typically do it in the morning, but I got home from the Rose Bowl last night at 1.30 in the morning. And so <laughs> I slept in a little bit this morning, did not get up and do that run before the day started and thought, you know what, I'm going to still get it in during, during the lunch hour.
0: That's fantastic. I wish I could say I I was there as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you live in a different area of the country than I do. Manchester, New Hampshire, Gary in Minnesota. It's a little bit colder outside for you guys. You know, it's uh it's 59 degrees here right now. So, uh it was actually even a little bit warm to go out for a run uh at noon. I don't think I want to hear any more about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't either. I don't either. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, Linda, you've you've listened to the show. You know how the show goes. We we kind of start um, by having our guests tell a little bit about themselves personally. So whatever that means to you, where you grew up, are you married? Do you have kids? Where'd you go to college? Whatever you'd like us to know about you personally, we'd love to hear it.
0: Sure. Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of information about myself. Uh, my name is Linda Panaris. Obviously, I own Millennium Agency and has owned it for about 24 years now. I actually came from the high-tech industry. So my first job out of college, I won't make this too lengthy, but I was in tech support for about two years or so. And I realized, well, it's not quite for me. Maybe I'll move into marketing. So I did. I moved into marketing and did a lot of research and campaign planning, which I found was fascinating and fantastic because it's amazing how well that actually works once you do some research and you decide like, okay, what areas of the market are available? For this company, and how can I tackle those areas of business? And that just set my career off. So it was great. We were the accounting and business software company. We got got bought out by Great Plains, then we got bought out by Microsoft. And and I started my my company shortly thereafter. So that's the short version of my career. Personally, I have three kids. They're all grown up, they're all college educated, they're working, they're off my payroll most (laughs) of the time. Um, not all the time, but most of the time, um, except if a transmission goes or some other crisis happens, the phone starts ringing. But yes, I have three kids and I split my time between New Hampshire and Boston. Yeah, awesome. It's well, fun. Yeah. It's cold. That... It's, cold and it's cold there too.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. I mean, you can see in my background, I'm a big fan of Boston, specifically the Red Sox. hmm I'm really a baseball fan first, and that's that's why I fell in love with the Red Sox. I grew up outside of Salt Lake City, and so I have no reason to be a, a Red Sox fan other than as a kid whose parents did not have cable television, the only three teams that got coverage on the news were the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Cubs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, you kind of chose one because back then... There was no affiliation of a team anywhere near Salt Lake City. There weren't the Colorado Rockies. There weren't the Arizona Diamondbacks. There weren't any of those teams, you know. And so I chose the Red Sox. And my gosh, I had a I had a very tough childhood and adolescence <laughs> and early twenties as a Red Sox fan. While the Yankees won a lot of World Series,
0: but I bet you did. Yeah,
1: but I, I love the town of Boston. That's really what I love about them is they're they're true baseball fans.
0: You know? yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, I went to a few games this summer and it was fantastic. I get the opportunity to walk there and enjoy the game and walk back. And the great thing about baseball is you can go with some friends, you can talk, you can watch a game, you can have a couple of drinks, you can still talk, watch a game. So it makes it great. It makes it fun. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I believe it's the best ballpark in in professional sports. So it's it's awesome. Agree. All right. Well, let's let's jump to the business side. Actually, before we jump to the business side, I'm going to do this just because it's the new year. I hadn't planned this ahead of time, but I was uh, thinking about this just a few minutes before the show started. I'm not a huge New Year's resolution type of a person. Um, I don't really set a bunch of you know New Year's resolutions, but I do write a business plan for my business every single year. I do it on one page, and I make it very very simple right? It's just kind of broken up goals, strategies, tactics, and actions, obstacles to success. And then the last thing is personal and professional development. So that's where I kind of put the new year's resolution type stuff on there. And one of the resolutions for me, or one of the things that's on there for personal development this year is I want to to lose 30 pounds, I'm not a very, very large person, but I really should weigh about 30 pounds less than I, than I weigh right now. And that kind of gets me back to what I weighed in my 20s, right? And wow. I'm, I'm approaching my 50s now. So if I can get back to that, I think that would be a big, big deal. So I'll toss it over to you. Are you a New Year's resolution person?
0: Did you set any? You know, obviously I have set some goals for work and we have some strategies in place. In fact, we do set them um, I set them corporately, and then I also set them with our staff on a quarterly basis, so everybody can stay up to speed. But I do love the fact that you put everything in a very simple format; and you get everything down on one sheet, and you can just keep that top of mind. So, definitely for business, um, we focus in on three key industries: manufacturing, tech, uh, pharma, and we're planning on growing those markets this year. People question, obviously, obviously the economy. However, our feeling is, is just got to keep your head down and just keep running no matter what. So our resolution this year is really to to grow our business and those three key sectors and focus in on primarily branding and, and lead generation. And me personally, you're going to be a little jealous. I did already take off those few pounds that I wanted to, <laughs> which I've had for the last several years. So those are gone. So I think this year I'm going to get focused in on really getting in great shape and eating healthier and working out more. And I think, of oh, that will help me stay focused on achieving some of these other goals. So yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, no, good for you, losing those those pounds already. Gary, how about you? <laughs> you know, I got to
2: commend you, Austin, because <laughs> very few people we've, we've dealt with, we're closing in on 400 clients that we've worked with, and very few of them get down to the personal level and have a plan that you talked about. Um, they just show up, and they start working hard and it makes it really hard to know whether you're on track or not. So commend you on that. Yes, we have business plans. Um, we've got our initiatives identified and everything else. I'm not going to bore you with all of that, um, but we've got our plan put together. I feel pretty good going into the new year. Uh, I'm with you. Got to take off some The holidays were really good and not good to me at the same time. I had a really good time, but man got to take off
1: some poundage now. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I was out for a run prior to the holidays, you know, maybe I don't know, first or second week of December and uh I saw a neighbor and I was coming back and I I was at the end of my run, so I'm kind of in my cool down walk, you know. And I walked past this neighbor and his wife and they're out there on the driveway stretching, right? And he says Oh, he says, I'm heading out for that same walk so I can take some pounds off so I can put them back on in the ho- during the holidays. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I said, just to be clear, I was running before I saw you. I was just walking at the end. So yeah, that's funny. Well, yeah, actually, last thing I'll say about that. So on, on the business plan thing, one other thing that I find helpful and hopefully some of the listeners find this you know beneficial, your clients, whoever whoever may find this beneficial, that one page thing, it just, it makes it so succinct, so easy to remember. But on top of that, it hangs on the wall by okay. my desk in the office. So you see it every single day and you start to see, you know, am I doing what I said I was going to do daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly? And, and it kind of holds you accountable because it's it's right there. It's not saved in a folder. It's not, you know, somewhere else. It's It's there, visible and, and ready to be seen. In Austin, do you have somebody to help you keep accountable, or is
2: that just your own accountability? Because everybody knows you're supposed to do that, but it's like going to the the trainer at the gym. We all know how to run, we all know how to lift stuff, but when they <laughs>
1: hold you accountable,
2: that's when it really happens.
1: So, who holds you accountable? Yeah, now I'm just now I'm just going to sound like I'm bragging, but we uh, <laughs> we had a uh, we had a meeting week before last uh, with our team, so the we're we're a pretty small group, but the four of us got together and we each shared our separate business plans that then you know compiled to make the, the full business you know for the business plan. Um and we shared those things with each other to to be able to hold each other accountable throughout yeah. the year. So yeah every, every member of my team knows that what I didn't tell you is the end part of that is lose 30 pounds and either train for a half iron man or to try out for American Ninja Warrior. So we'll we'll see where that ends up. But um, my business partner, Landon and I were together. Oh, when was that? January, I think it was the first. Uh, we were together, oh no, January 2nd. We were together, no, Saturday. We were together on the 31st and, uh, and we talked, we were looking at dates for half Ironmans to do together to kind of push both
0: of us. So I think that's great. You have something to look forward to, something to focus on that long term distance goal, which always helps. I yeah, think that's fantastic. So, no one, give us so a little ahead. background on, on
2: millennial here. Uh, what, what, yeah. what is it? And there are so many, I don't want to lump you in with all, but there are so many digital it, agencies out
0: yeah. there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, tell us you guys are and how do you really differentiate
0: yourself? Yeah, I love that question because you're right. Uh, Agencies, there are so many different types of agencies out there. There are digital agencies, SEO agencies, regular branding agencies, and we all sound the same, but how are we different and how do we differentiate compared to others? So we are primarily a branding company. So we focus on building brands for our clients. So what does that mean? So is that just a, it's not a logo. It's it's a look, it's a feel, it's it's a selling proposition that actually differentiates you within that. And the reason we are a branding firm is we believe that it is vital to have a very strong brand and a key message in order to drive leads effectively. Because to your point, you sound like everybody else and every company sounds like everybody else, depending on what they do, you know? So, The idea here is really trying to find that what we call the white space in the market and saying, okay, here are our competitors. Here's what they all do. Here's what they all say. Now, what part is not taken? Like, what can we grab onto that maybe another agency in our competitive field has not taken? And then drive the focus of the company based on that differentiator. So that's primarily what we do. We work with our clients to build a brand that differentiates them in the market. And we are focused on some key industries, meaning manufacturing slash, and I say manufacturing tech and pharma, they are primarily all manufacturing. If you think about it, they're all making something, right? So we are hyper-focused on those industries. And those are the industries that we can really help these companies grow. Involved more successfully and more intensely into B two B markets, um, which not everybody has a core competency in. You know, you'll see somebody say, "Oh, I can help you, you know, put put up a quick e commerce website." Well, that's not really what we do. So, it really is the focus of the branding, building a selling proposition that differentiates you, determining that white space in the market, and then driving the leads you know, based on some of that preliminary data that was determined on the front
2: end. So, so talking to a lot of CEOs, business owners, even you know, a lot of salespeople and he asked them, I, I, I bet I've asked no less than a thousand salespeople. You know, why are you versus your competitor?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I get generic answers back. Like we have awesome customer service, uh, we're really good at relationships, fluffy stuff that everybody out there in the market can say. So. Give, give us an example. of How do you find this white space with these people? What, yeah,
0: what? like I, let me give you a, like an example that people can identify with. I mean, I think that, like for an example, like a lot of companies will say, "Hey, we have great service." Like, how many times do you guys hear that? Like every right. day of the week. Oh, we have good. Pr- our pricing is fantastic. Like we have the lowest pricing. Around. Really? Yeah, you and everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, the idea here is if you take a company, like I like to look at FedEx as a good example because the differentiating factor with them is when they came out with the overnight delivery guaranteed, there was no one, you know, that's a, that's a white space in the market that nobody grabbed onto. And they said, okay, we're going to make this happen. We're going to build our business model around really making these deliveries. And then they're competing with like, okay, now, you know, we get got the United States Postal Service, you know, all these other companies are catching up to some of the things that they established in the market. So they were able to identify like, Really white space, if you're looking at a company that says, "Oh, where you're a trusted advisor or where you're you know partner, you have to come up with a different way of oh well, why. Like so I always say so, why would I i do the, ask the same question, Gary. It's like, okay, why would I do business with you instead of somebody else? Okay, you have great service. what do you mean by that? Yeah. like, how do you have great service? You are going to call me back in three minutes. Right. You're going to call me back in 60 seconds. You're going to email me within the same day. I mean, can you give me some detail on that? So drilling down into some of these factors that people don't really think about that's a little bit more granular can really help them differentiate themselves. And that's the work that we do. It's not something that we, you know, like wake up in the morning and go, hey, let's do this for uh, Gary's company. Great idea. It's its a process. Sure. It's really a process to figure out, you know, why are you different? And then how can we hang our hat on that for for... At one of our clients, you know, companies, they're at their organization. Yeah. Uh,
2: do, do you find companies that have a really hard time finding that white space because they really mm-hmm. are similar to everybody else? So what do you do with mm-hmm.
0: them? Mm-hmm. It really helps to get, we go through a pretty multi-step process. We have kind of this proprietary process that we put our clients through. And by the time we get to the end of that, it's amazing what comes up. Mm-hmm. Like they they they'll say things and they'll say, "Gosh, I never even like thought we did that." Like I I didn't realize like how important that was because they're hearing themselves. They live it every day, right? It's sort of right. like that. Austin's you know like he's doing his uh, annual plan and executing it, but you're just do you're doing you're not thinking. And we get our clients to really think, and we help them strategically think in ways that they haven't thought of before. So that is sort of the. Uh, uncovering factor to help them figure out, like, how are you different? Why would somebody want to do something? And just to add one more point to that is, you know, as you said earlier, it's like, oh, we have great service. OK, it's not that you have great service, but the key is is to establish a way to say that in a very emotional way, mm-hmm. because if you drink Pepsi or Coke, I don't know if you're a Pepsi or Coke drinker. Maybe neither because they're soda. We we're just talking about weight loss. But if you are one or the other, there's a reason. Mm-hmm. And the reason is it's an emotional reason. So you might like the feeling that Coke gives you. Maybe it makes you feel like you should put your pajamas on and sit in front of the fireplace. Or maybe you have a Pepsi and you're like, I want to go for a run out. You know, you get different feelings. And that's what we have to get our clients to think about is what feeling do we? want your prospects to have when they think of you. So there's an actual spot in their mind when it comes down to that.
1: I think you covered a lot of a lot of great, you know, things there. So I mean, obviously having a strong brand is vital. I think now today it's probably even more vital than ever before, specifically because a lot of people are going to start to do things remote only there's a there's a you know an opportunity to do things differently and so i think that brand matters but so you know talk to about us uh, to us why you think it's vital now but take that a step further and say you know cuz people say we've got to build a brand right well that doesn't mean much to a lot of people you know when they say brand they think coke is the brand or pepsi's the brand or pivotal advisors or you know millennium agencies that's the brand well no that's that's the name Mm-hmm. that's the logo but you know define brand and then why is it critical to have a strong brand
0: now yeah yeah so a lot of companies think oh we need a new brand and they you know they might think that's a logo right or it's a it's a new product launch but what it is is it's really defining your look and your feel of your business and putting the words behind that look and feel and you're kind of marrying and uniting the two of those to build an identity that people can really wrap their head around. And it feels like fluff and it sounds like fluff and it's hard to articulate because, however, if you think of something like a Pepsi or a Coke or an Amazon or a FedEx or whatever the company may be, you have a very specific thought in your mind about those companies in order to get to that place, you do have to go to that through that process of defining. okay, what do I look like? What does my brand feel like? What do we sound like? What's our culture like? It's not like just being talking heads, like this is what we are, but you got to live it every day, like internally in the company, in the organization, you have to live it every day. Amazon's a great example. They look at every day as like a new day, like a clear day, like you're like always solving problems and you're always addressing like you're always kind of moving the needles like incremental improvements, which is a a way to sort of think it's a it's a it's a culture and it's really putting all those pieces together, your look, your feel, your messaging, your culture, your core values, and then pushing that out into the market, which can take some time because sometimes you think, "Oh wow, we just went through this long process now we're launching our brand now we should be okay, well. Now, once the brand is defined, now you've got the messaging defined, you've pushed it into the market, you have to do that for some time in order to penetrate the market so they really understand who you are and what you stand for. So there's an investment in your company in your look in, your, in, in the look and the feel of company and the messaging of the company in order to really you know, establish that. Um, so I don't know if that cleared that up, but that's basically there are multiple components to it. It's a visual, it's a feeling, it's the words, and it's getting all those pieces together into the market into one cohesive, not fragmented way. So people have a clear understanding of what you stand for and why they should do business with you.
2: That, that related to that, it, it kind of ties in with what you just said. You said people might think of it as fluff and you know logos and colors and whatnot. And I'm sure you see this, a lot of small business owners say, well, I could either put all my money into brand and I only have so much of a marketing, or I could put it into SEO or pay-per-click or email campaign, or I can go to a show or whatnot. What would you say to those people? Why invest in brand? Because they only have so much of a marketing budget to spend.
0: Yeah. No, that's a great question because we get that a lot. I think, you know, our, our clients will say, you know, I I want to put some money behind digital. I want to we have to generate leads, right? Sure. So we take a look at the website and we're like, oh boy like the minute somebody hits this website they're going to leave this website. So the idea here is to you know establish your company so maybe you look a little bit more mature especially if you're a startup than just a, like somebody you know created a quick little website for you or you had a friend do a logo. So you really want to make sure that that brand is professional, it's solid and it make it's something you're proud of. Because if you're not proud of it, it's hard to like stand by your own company. And we do see that too. Like companies will be like, oh, our website's just like terrible. Like it's just terrible. But in this case, it's really making sure that that brand is solid before you start driving leads to an identity that is not impressive. So that's why it's so important to put some money, you know, behind that brand. I mean, I've spent tons and tons of money, but it needs to be professional. It needs to be clean. It needs to be cohesive. It should be modernized to make sure it, it utilizes all the best practices that are out there today.
2: Well, um, and frankly, it's the groundwork because without that, then even if you are going to do pay-per-click or email campaign, and whatnot, if you don't have your cohesive message, if you don't have your differentiation, you're kind of flushing your money. Closed, like yeah.
0: I'm always like, it's, it's like kind of like building a house without the foundation, right? It's like, okay, let's build the house, but if you don't have the foundation, you know, we're gonna probably have to go back and figure that out, lift the house and put the foundation in at some point. So why do it later instead of do it now?
2: So I'm sure you have all kinds of great stories, but um, where are some of the areas that people really fall down on, Brand? You get a lot of small businesses listening today. So what are some of the common mistakes that they make that you can catch somebody right now and they can go, oh crap, that's me. <laughs> Um, what are some of the things that you see that they don't do well?
0: Yeah, I would say, I mean, they might like create their own logo that's not very professional. That's a kind of a big thing because that seems like it's an expensive, it's an expense that they don't want to do. It's one that's easier. I can, you know, I can do this myself. Or they might do a quick little website that doesn't really function or has a lot of 404 errors and things like that. So we find like the fall down spaces. Are basically in the general look and feel, and then the other thing that we see is that when they do, like if they do have a website and a logo, and they have materials, their materials will look different than oh. their website, and we see that a lot. So that can be very challenging because as a potential customer, if you're seeing multiple pieces from this company, you won't even think they're the same company. So that's why it's so important to make sure that that those things are very cohesive, not fragmented, and the the messaging is clear and concise. So that's the big, I think that's sort of the big area that I see, you know, companies falling back on is is the fragmentation of the brand.
2: Yeah, I see see that. Different looks, different feels, different messaging. Mm -hmm. It just, it affects a company's professionalism. You know, you you want to partner with somebody who gives you that feeling that you were talking about before, that can really destroy it.
0: Yeah. It makes you feel like the company has it together. know. Yeah. You know, I hate to put it into simple form, but it's, it's almost like, you know, you're going out and you're getting ready to go out and none of your clothes match. And, you know, you've got red sneakers on and a pink blouse and, you know, a big hat on and then, Like, nothing's like, you know, like, whoa, like, you know, rather than like something that's totally put together. That's something that's memorable. I mean, although the person would be memorable, but like you want something professional, and memorable, and and cohesive, and that's the idea.
2: And and you know, you just described Austin's running outfit, right?
0: Is that how he dresses? That's what I thought. You know, I was wondering.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, definitely.
0: <laughs> you know, the um, hat. I I told him not to wear the hat, but he just keeps <laughs> going to wear that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I usually run in a fedora, actually, but it is what it is. You know, I wanted to actually add something to something. Both of you guys use the word professionalism. I think that sometimes that word is misunderstood or misused in the way that people build their brands and their websites. So what I mean by that is, let's pick uh, whatever, let's pick an industry, let's pick banking, for example, right? So banking, everybody kind of knows that when you walk into a bank, the executives of the bank are going to be wearing probably three-piece suits, wingtips, you know, white shirt, tie, all those sorts of things, right? Yeah. But that doesn't mean that every bank has to be that way or that every person in pharmaceutical sales or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, you can be professional, but still intentional and true to who you are and, and what you're doing. Right. Right. So, I mean, so my industry, not to use me as an example, but our industry is pretty buttoned up as well. Right. Yeah, That's true. Yeah. I go to conferences and people give me grief about not wearing a white shirt and tie and, and those sorts of things, but that's not, I love wearing suits when it's appropriate and I feel like it's warranted, but That's not true to who I am, right? Most of my clients are very successful business owners, but most of them in the blue-collar trades-type area, right? And so I walk in with wingtips and a three-piece suit. They don't want me there, right? They feel uncomfortable with me there. So I wear more casual clothing than most people in my industry, and our website reflects that. Uh right? I don't put a suit on just to have the picture on the website. I'm wearing what I normally wear on a day-to-day basis, right? If I stood up, you'd see that I'm wearing like gray plaid pants, a louder color, right? That's, that's, that's who I am. And my clients know that they expect it. I walk in wearing a pair of, you know, I'm wearing jeans and a nice shirt. I still look nice, but I'm wearing multicolored Vans shoes, because that's who I am, uh-huh. right? And I'm to a point in my career that if anybody's choosing to work with me based on what I'm wearing, that's not somebody I want to work with anyway, right? So I, I think that there's there's this belief that you have to pretend to be somebody that you're not really, and you can be authentically yourself and still build a great business. Even excuse me, even in an industry that expects you to to dress a certain way.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people. I mean, although you are established in your career, so you're you're probably at the point where, you, like you said, you you know your stuff. You know, you're great at what you do, so and you're confident with that, and that, and you're not try, probably trying to prove yourself in any capacity. So you're you, which is a great place to be. And I do think that people should be authentic because that is. You know, that is their selling proposition. Um, And it helps them also differentiate themselves from others that are in the market. Because I think you'll find, you know, we find, we find like, I'll just say we find like clients, like clients like us. And the more like clients we find, the better relationships and partnerships we have with them. And my guess is you probably feel the same way. And that's, that's a great place to be. It really is. Absolutely.
1: Well, let's, let's move on to how to find that white space in the market. You said you got to find that white space. How do you guys, you mentioned kind of a proprietary space or a proprietary process that you guys go through to find that white space. So, you know, you don't have to to share how the, how the soup is made, so to speak, but kind of what is that process? Actually, you know what? Before we do yeah. that, let's take a quick break. We'll hear a quick okay.
0: we'll
1: call to action for our audience. Okay. Keep, drink some water and then... And then we'll talk about the mind space. Awesome. Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no-obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now, back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, welcome back. We're here with Linda Fanaris, CEO of Millennium Agency, and uh, we've unpacked, I feel like, quite a bit already, but you know, Linda. Like I said right before the break, let's let's talk about how you how you help people find that white space in the market. Give us a little yeah. more information.
0: Yeah. So the white space is really trying to identify space in the market that your competitors have not tapped into yet. Especially if you're in a company, you know, if you're in the type of industry where everything feels like a commodity, you know, you're competing with a lot of like companies, um, almost in like a you know, I like to say perfect competition. It doesn't have to be perfect competition, but in this case, when you're analyzing white space, we do take our clients through a pretty detailed process, but to give you an overview, there are many different factors that you need to actually evaluate and analyze. First of all, you wanna figure out maybe your top five to 10 competitors. And you can build out almost like a matrix system or some sort of a graph system so you can track this data and really look at like, okay, how are they positioned in the market? Like, how, what do they say that they use to differentiate themselves? And you identify what that is. And then you're like, okay, what does their branding look like? What is their look and their feel? How do they segment and target their different audiences? Like, who are those audiences and who do they go after? Because the, all these are, all these things I'm mentioning are ways that you can start to I mean, define and uncover that white space. And then you can also look at like, what are my product and services mix that, um, what, what what are they offering for their product and service mix? So you have to do some digging. What's their price point? What's their company personality? Are they, you know, the white shirts and the blue suits or are they more casual and fun loving? So how are they doing on like customer satisfaction? Like if their satisfaction is low, yours is great. So you start looking at these things like loyalty. So you start looking at factors that maybe you wouldn't necessarily look at before and you start digging into that and you define them and you document them. I also like to add into that, like the actual, I don't know if you're familiar with like the pestle analysis, which you probably remember from your college days, but um, you look at some of the things that are going out going on in the industry. So if there's things in the industry that's impacting business or your typical type of business, like if there are any political issues going on, the economic landscape is changing, like real estate now would be a good example. It's changing. Uh, maybe technology is changing, legal is changing, environmental factors are changing. And you sort of look at all these different pieces and then you're you're really at this point figuring out, okay, What what can we innovate? What's available to us that we could, you know, take advantage of that maybe we couldn't before? And once you put these pieces together and you start to analyze these different things, you'll have this framework that you can use to pull factors out that will help you start to differentiate. And then you can build off of that that component. That's kind of a, I mean, for small businesses, I know it sounds a little complicated. You don't have to do that big deep dive, but I think at the very least, if you did the competitive analysis, how they're positioning themselves, what they say their differentiators are, and then trying to find out why yours are different, it can help you establish a spot in that marketplace that, that will allow you to innovate in a different way.
2: Yeah, I love that. And, and you even, you, you touched on it a little bit, but I find um even the segment of market that you go after can be a big mm-hmm. one. And mm-hmm. I think about, you know, a client that we had, they were in the background screening world. They all do the exact same thing. They all go and they send people to the courthouse and they pull records and they do online stuff. They'll do the same thing. But when a client of ours said, but we're gonna specialize in like healthcare and transportation, mm-hmm. and they had on their website, here's our transportation solution, here's our healthcare solution, and when they went to all their competitors and saw, well, they were kind of jack of all trades, but hey, these guys get us because they're transportation. Or because all of a sudden they wanted to work with them. They created an identity, they found their white space. and exactly. So even something as simple as what segment of market do we want to go after can help you with that white space.
0: Exactly, because that company can go in and say to those prospects, hey, there's no learning curve with us. We already get your space. Right. Like we work in your space, you're going to save a lot of time. You'll save a lot of money, um, and we can help you get there faster. That is a selling proposition, and it's it's a good example of one because it's relatively straightforward. and And you're right. I think that's a that's a great way to tackle something like that. Yeah,
2: because people want to people want to buy from people or partner with people that get them. So the more you yeah. can relate to them, the the better your win rates are going to go up
0: yeah and i I know with a lot of small businesses, especially as you know as you start out, you want to be a jack of all trades. you want to be able to offer. and we want to offer everything so we can generate as much revenue as we can. And if anybody calls us, we can say yes. And that's great. but at the end of the day, you're everybody knows you're not great at everything, right? So it's really identifying like, okay, what well, can we be great at? What should we be great at? And then let's focus on those that space and let, let's go after that market because it becomes much easier to find your market and sell to that market once you figure out that this company is a good example that you mentioned, Gary. You know, they could find that market. They can go after it. They can target it. They can message to it. They have case studies that prove it. Yep. They have the credentials and their selling process is easier and it's easier on the other side, on the prospect side too.
2: Yeah, have you found that uh, business owners are a little afraid of that sometimes? Because yeah, they feel like they're decreasing who they're going after. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, that's a
0: big that's a big one. And the thing is, is you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you can't take business right. from other sectors. It just means you have a focus, and that focus allows you to market more effectively and find your customers more easily. And that's obviously the goal of many business owners. Yeah, I was uh I
2: was looking at some of the work that we had done together before we got on the podcast. You talk a little bit about how you guys help decrease CPL and increase CLV, you know, cost per lead and customer lifetime value and whatnot. to do, do, do small businesses, your manufacturing clients want, do they even know what their cost per lead is or their their lifetime value and how do you help them there?
0: Yeah, we have to get them to dig into that a lot of times. No, the answer to that is no. (laughs) Yeah. And why do they need to know? They have to know. Like a great example is we just did, uh, we had a relatively small, they do laser cutting business. And um, we were doing some email marketing for them and we're doing it. That's it. And, And we're going through the analytics. And she's like, wow, we got that customer from that email and that customer from that email and that customer from that email. But you have to be able to figure out where they're coming from. And then you can track how long will you keep them. usually a laser, laser cutting business, they'll have them forever. So they're, you know, the cost per lead might be X amount, but their customer lifetime value might be huge. So knowing that from the onset, Will help you figure out, like, all right, for every lead we get, it's going to cost us X amount. Let's say it's cost us five hundred dollars, thousand dollars, but our average, you know, customer lifetime value is it's fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And knowing that data really helps companies, I guess, feel good about their marketing. Yeah,
2: you know? <laughs> <So they're just laughs> really, randomly
0: <feel> about- <laughs>
1: trying different things. Out. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, which yeah scares scares businesses. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it makes them feel good about it. But the the flip side to that is, you know, like you said, they might have a pretty big customer, you know, lifetime value. And if you build your marketing based on that's a $50,000 lifetime value, and you build your marketing budget based on, you know, accumulating a bunch of people at 50,000, then you think, oh, well, it's no big deal to spend $25,000 to acquire that customer then because my lifetime value is 50,000. And you grow yourself right into bankruptcy.
0: Exactly. And what's I, I think this is also interesting because sometimes, you know, the first knee jerk reaction for a lot of companies, uh, you know, at the end of the year, they're like, oh, we have to cut our budget for next year. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is you know, if you cut your budget, your sales will go down. Mm-hmm. You know, so as long as you recognize that that will happen, and if you want to grow your business, yes. Um, it's you know so unless you're wasting money, which is not the case here, but if you want to grow your business, you need to figure out what that cost is per lead and what you really should be backing that marketing plan up with, and how to drive enough leads to increase your business revenues. Yeah,
2: that that's a that's a really good point, and there's been lots of prognosticators out there talking about how we're going to have the big recession here in 2023. Mm-hmm. And it's coming. And people are shoring up their budgets. They probably just mm-hmm. got through that process right now, and people have made cuts. Can't cut, I agree with you 100? percent You can't cut your way to growth. That's not going to happen. Right. So, how do they think? How should business owners think about? what to invest in, what's the best, how do I measure whether it's working or not? How do I look at my ROI? How do you help them with that or what should they be thinking about?
0: Yeah, those are all good questions. So the ROIs, they're doing a lot of digital work that can be tracked pretty easily. So you want to be able to try to track your lead to a process. So your leads are coming in. Let's say they're coming in through digital. You know, you're you're tracking your click-through rates, your conversions, and your close ratios. And then you're figuring out, okay, for every lead I generate, like I said, I'm you know I'm creating you know for every five hundred dollars I spend, I'm generating a three thousand dollars sale. So it's important to be able to really track that because every I mean, marketing is a process. It's not, um, and it's a cumulative process, and that's where I think a lot of companies get hung up because they might try something. Oh, that didn't work. We're not doing this anymore. But the idea is figuring out like what does work, eliminate what doesn't work. And add on something else that you could pilot or test to improve the process. And that's what is an important part of the marketing strategy piece of any business is to like, not just give up. It's really just defining like what works, what doesn't work and how do we build off of what's working? How do we eliminate what's not working and then take it from there?
2: Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to give you a harder question. Sure. This, this is bugging the crap out of me okay. personally. Um It's hard to attribute what's working and what's not working sometimes, because I'll take our business. I might go do a speaking event, and then somebody signs up for our newsletter or a blog, and then they talk to, maybe they see something online about us, and then they talk to somebody who refers us in. Which of those is responsible, and how do you attribute which one works or which one doesn't? It's always a puzzle to me.
0: It is. It is interesting because you may have to touch that person eight times right. and over the course of two years before they actually, before it actually triggers. And so that trigger event, you obviously want to track that because it's a probably a timing thing, mm-hmm. right? It's not necessarily, maybe they didn't need you two years ago, but they need you today and what mm-hmm. triggered them to make that conversion. So that's the important part of um, what I was saying earlier, is that you don't want to just give things up. You want to keep that process going because you never know when your prospect will actually need your services. Um, so if you go dark, which you know a lot of companies tend to do if they get nervous, they go dark, which is like the worst thing to do because people forget about you. Then you're like, when you come back alive, you're starting over. And that's not what, really what you want to do. You want to keep that going. So... To your point, you know, give a presentation, maybe do a digital ad, maybe send an email marketing thing, maybe do something else and then you trigger them. They're ready. You know, you've kind of taken them through that journey, maybe organically, not strategically, but it's worked.
1: Yeah, it obviously all contributes. I I think Gary's point, unfortunately, though, is it's hard to track really, or at least check a box where that lead came from, right?
0: Right exactly like where did it come from you know i'm assuming like the first touch point you my guess is you are tracking that so if you do track the, the touch points you're able to track okay we got this person and we did xyz you know we sent out you know whatever five different things to this company and, and this is how we we're able to track it, and then they convert it at this point in time
2: I'm so black and white. I want it to be like, the lead source was this, but it's a lot more I know. Art and science than that. It
0: is. It is. I mean, it's, you know, you obviously want to track the last one that triggered them because it's a, yeah. it's a timing issue.
2: Who is your ideal client? Who Who is the people you, you said, you know, pharma and technology and manufacturing, <laughs> but are there, are you targeting a particular segment? Is it small business, larger
0: business? We usually like to work with clients that are, you know, at least five to ten million in annual sales, um, which is a, is like a good size. Because at that point, they they do. I mean, and then we do work with clients that are smaller, maybe a couple million as well. That might not have any in-house marketing uh, support, but we definitely you know like to work with clients that really need a company that can actually build a budget track their budget and then execute on that plan and budget annually and then report back because that way you know I don't want to sound like we're control freaks but it gives us sort of a holistic view of what's going on what they're doing what's working what's not working which is everything we just talked about so we can make the necessary adjustments as we need to and that could include a multitude of different things could be SEO could be email marketing could be digital ads could be could be anything
2: could be- so, so what's the trigger Linda when? for the small business owners out there that are listening, what is the trigger for them to say, maybe I should take a step back and look at brand. Maybe I should take a step back and look at this. Is there, is there something that they should be looking at their business to say, I need to give Linda a call because this is going on.
0: Yeah. I think, I think if they take a step back and they look at their website and their logo and and they read what's on their website and they read their marketing materials and they say, Mm Hmm like none of this it sounds like way too fragmented to me, like nothing really connects you, like the dots are not connecting, then definitely I would say, yeah, it's time to probably call, you know, millennium. Um, I mean, I think a lot of things can trigger a conversation. It could be that messaging's not right. They don't know exactly how to find their target audience. And maybe they need to position themselves. Maybe there's some issues with the competition, like, they're, they're, in, they're in marketing, they have these marketing challenges that they don't know how to tackle. And, you know, we can help with the other half.
2: I love your white space concept, because if you sound, if you go, even anybody can go do this, go look at your competitors' websites, and if they're yeah. saying the exact same thing as you, mm-hmm. then it's not good. I did this with an accounting firm once. We, we were going through a similar exercise. We didn't call it white space or anything, but we were going through a similar exercise and... I said, tell me all the reasons you should work with you or somebody should work with you. And they said, well, you know, we've been around since 1927 and we're really good at tax and we're really good at audit and, you know, we're certified in this. And and they went through, they had like 20 things on the board. And I'm like, that's really good. What I didn't tell you was I went to your, your competitors' websites last night and I'm going to pull up their websites and if it says the same thing, you got to yank it off the list. Right up the first one that says been in business since like 1913 okay that one's gone them, we're good at tax we're good at we they had one thing left at the end so they were not they did they had not found our white space
0: yeah yeah actually i'm writing a book on that right now as we speak so hopefully it'll be ready in the next year mid this year now i can say excellent so yeah sounds good um,
1: yeah, so obviously anybody who's listening says, you know, we need Linda, we need Millennium Agency. How, how do they get in touch with you?
0: Yes, so they can uh, email me and it's L. Fanaris, F-A-N-A-R-A-S at mill, mill, dot agency. Nothing after that, no dot com or anything. So it's Fanaris at mill agency or they can visit the website at uh, www.mill M-I-L-L dot agency. And through there they can definitely reach out. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, Linda, really appreciate the conversation. I've I've picked up a few uh nuggets Oops. of in here. And that's uh, that's really what we're all here for, right? I mean, our our intent, like we said, is to tell the stories of small businesses, but we've got business owners and ourselves included who are listening to this and, and learning along the way. So I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, that's great. Thank you, Austin. I picked up some tips too. I'm going to put together that one pager and put it right on my wall. (laughs)
1: Well, good. That was worth the price of admission,
0: right? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Awesome.
1: Well, thank you, Linda, Gary. Happy New Year. Thanks for being here.
0: Happy Thank you so much. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Arizona time for an introduction to another great tycoon. And be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content.